turn there. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Adam Bonus. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Grace Church. And um, last weekend was our very first Sunday service. And uh, we were planning on being out here just like this. Um, the rain surprised us, so we moved into the, the garage last minute. Um, but we had such an encouraging, joyful, unifying time as a church last week. And, and so um, I just want to thank everybody that was involved with that. Um, Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And if you were here last week, uh, you may remember that uh, we are going through a five-week series called You Are Not Alone. And we're focusing on several of those one another commands through the New Testament. And last week, we looked at the command to care for one another. And um, we, we went through a passage, and, and we looked, and we saw um, this theme of unity. Um, the, the passage last week talked about how we are one body with many members, and yet we are unified. And so uh, this topic of unity is actually a major theme throughout the New Testament. It uh, shows up lots of times. Uh, probably my favorite um, passage that emphasizes the importance of unity is actually... Um, something that Jesus says. It was the, the night that he was betrayed. John chapter 7 records his prayer. And in the midst of that very critical moment, Jesus prays for our unity. So John 17, let me begin in verse 20. says, I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Ultimately, we have believed in Christ through the word of the apostles. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So last week, we saw that this whole idea of unity is something that God has accomplished for us. So we were looking at 1 Corinthians 12, we saw that we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body, unified through this act of God. And so there is one body, and today we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which makes the exact same point, drives home that point that it is the Holy Spirit, it is God himself who has unified us. Um, and those first three chapters talk all about that about this gift of eternal life that we've been given. And with that, we were also introduced into one body. We're the temple of God with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. 
And as a result, there's this supernatural unity that exists. But here's the thing. Unity is hard. It's hard to be unified with all of you. <laughs> Have you ever spent time with people? <laughs> Have they ever spent time with you? Um, unity is difficult. And in Paul's day, uh, he was dealing with a, a unique situation with the Jews and the Gentiles, who historically were not very fond of each other. So the Gentiles didn't like the Jews for a variety of reasons. Uh, they wouldn't eat pork. Who doesn't like bacon? You know, that's weird. They wouldn't eat pork. They refused to work on Saturdays. They refused to adopt the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. In fact, they didn't even have an image for their god. Do they even have a god? Right. So the, the, the Greeks didn't like the Jews. There was some historical animals. On the other hand, the uh, Jews historically didn't like the Gentiles. And there were good reasons for that. Uh, the Gentiles had conquered their country and ruled over them for centuries, to start with. So that, that would cause some hard feelings. Um, and then there was that time when Antiochus Epiphanes came into their temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem, which would also lend towards some hard feelings. And there was the very real fear that Israel would just be run over by the Roman Empire, trampled and lose their identity as a people. And so there's some major historical animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that's the context for this message that Paul is speaking in Ephesians 4. Um, in Ephesians 4, we're going to see the attitudes, the approaches that are necessary for keeping unity, even when it's difficult. Um, and, and Paul certainly had an opportunity to speak to that. And I think it's really good for us as a church to consider these things. Um, there will come a time, unfortunately, where I will say or do something, probably foolishly, to offend someone. And most likely you will too. And so it's helpful for us in advance to think about how do we prepare ourselves to maintain the unity that we have when somebody says something that offends us? Um, before we dive into this, let, let's take a moment to pray. I think it's really important on a passage like this that we um, ask the Lord's help with these things. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I ask once more, Lord, that you would speak to, to us through your word this morning. Lord, we, uh, we know the difficulty of maintaining unity among flawed people like ourselves. And so, God, we ask that, Lord, you would speak to us today. Help us to know how we ought to respond, how we ought to approach these things. Because, Father, your church is beautiful. It is worth fighting for. And so, Lord, help us to know what heart you would have for us to play. Pray this in Christ. Okay, so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're beginning in verse 1, and Paul begins uh, by reminding his readers how seriously he takes his faith in Christ. 
So Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's not speaking metaphorically, he is literally a prisoner at this point because of his faith in Christ. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What is the therefore, therefore? What is he pointing back to? He's, he's referring back to something, and, and to see what he's pointing back to, it's helpful for us to go back to chapter 3, where he says basically the same thing. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he goes off on this kind of excursion, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. And he goes off on this tangent for an entire chapter. And then he stops and he says, okay, where was he? <laughs> More or less. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. And so he's referring back to whatever he was referring to at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, which is the end of chapter 2. So he's, he's pointing back to what he had been talking about. And so in chapter 2, we're just going to... You know, we were talking this morning. If you're going to have demons in your church, it's good that they're in the cell. Okay, are, are, we, are we good there? Okay. We'll, we'll go off-roading. This is, this is good. Okay, so um, Paul is referring back to um, this, and he says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord. What are you talking about, Paul? Therefore, what, what are you referring back to? Chapter 2, verse 18, he says, For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He's speaking here of the unity that we have together. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so that's the background for what he says here in chapter 4, verse 1. Because you are now the household of God, because you are now united together as a holy temple by the Spirit, therefore you ought to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, that's a huge statement, this idea of walking in a manner worthy of this calling to which we've been called. And I think it's worth pausing here for a moment to say that Paul is not encouraging us to earn our salvation. Right? He's already covered that back in chapter 2. Salvation is a free gift. It is given to us by grace. That's why we're called Grace Church. It's that important. Um, salvation is given to us as a free gift. Nor is he saying that somehow we need to pay back this gift. Then it wouldn't be a gift. Um, what Paul is saying is that we have been in invited into eternal life. And that as a result of what he has done for us, our lives ought to be completely different. That it ought to affect the way we live our lives. There's a responsibility that comes with being part of the household of God. And so earlier in Paul's letter here, Paul says that he prays for these Christians, that they will really understand, that they will know the hope of their calling. So let's look just a little further back, Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 16 through 18, he says this. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So that word called means invited or summoned. We've been invited into eternal life. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, We have been called by God to an eternal hope. We sang about it this morning, even, that death no longer has a grip on us, right? That we have this eternal hope of eternal life. And so with that, there's this amazing recognition that we are unified together as the body of Christ. And in light of that great truth, we should live like him. That's, that's his point. Um, Paul says a very similar thing over in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, you are witnesses, so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner of the wor worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom. So how can he possibly do that? How do you live in a manner that's worthy of what Christ has done for us? How, how can we possibly live up to that amazing recognition? And so that's what Paul is going to describe for us. Paul's going to paint a picture for us of what this new approach to life ought to look like. And he's going to give us five points, five things to look at. Um, there is humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, and a commitment to unity. Don't get overwhelmed by five. There's some overlap there, painting a picture. Um, it's this different kind of approach to life. So what I want to do is I want to just briefly look at each one of these. Uh, the first one is humility, and it's an interesting one. Because humility does not come naturally to us. It's, it's this attitude of focusing more on the well-being of others than on ourselves. I really like the C.S. Lewis quote. Um, some of you have probably heard. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? So it's not that like false modesty, oh, I'm no good at anything. That's, that's not modesty not, or, or humility, not, not the way the Bible is speaking of it. Humility is a focus on the other person. It's, it's not obsessing over yourself. It's obsessing over the well-being of that other person, like last week when we talked about caring for each other. Um, it's worth noting that humility was not viewed as a virtue in the day that Paul wrote this letter. So one ancient writer, um, his name's Epictetus, listed humility first among the qualities not to be commended. In other words, humility is a bad thing. You should avoid this. And that was the view of many ancient writers back at that time. And yet the New Testament portrays humility always in a positive light. Why? Because it's a prerequisite for having unity. You, know, you can think through this as 
kind of obvious, but it'd be really difficult to pursue unity with a person who's boastful and arrogant and focused on themselves, and, and who wants to be with that person? It's really easy to pursue unity with someone who is humble, who is paying attention to the needs of others. So, so you can't have unity without humility. And so he begins with that one. He moves on to gentleness. And gentleness is one of those that's mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit. This is something that the Holy Spirit is producing in us. And gentleness, uh, we probably think of a little differently than what, what Paul is referring to. Um, it, it's not the same as weakness. Uh, gentleness is a, is a word, it describes Jesus at one point. Gen Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. But he's not weak. So Jesus welcomes little children. He shows mercy to tax collectors and sinners. He was so patient with his disciples. And then he flipped the tables in the temple when they, you know, the money changers took over the place. Uh, this kind of gentleness, uh, the word was all about self-control. It's the man who is always angry at the right thing and never angry at the wrong time. Um, it was a term that was used for training animals. So a well-trained dog is always angry at his master's enemies, but never angry at his master's friends. Try training your dog. That's tough. Um, we ought to be self-controlled in our anger with the Holy Spirit functioning like our trainer. That, that's the idea of gentleness, that we are self-controlled in our anger, never lashing out the third one is patience. So humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, these are just not automatic ones. Uh, these are things that uh, take conscious effort on our part. Patience is a characteristic of, of God himself. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness this is referring to his return but he is patient toward you he's not wishing that any should perish that but that all should reach repentance why does jesus delay coming back why has it been two thousand years why is jesus not here today it's because he is patient he is giving every opportunity for people to come to him 2 Peter 3.15 says that we should count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We should be thankful that our God is so patient with us. I'm glad that God's patient. Um, I would be in a world of hurt if God was not patient. And I think we can all relate to that. So carry that idea over to, to our interactions with each other. We need to be patient with each other. We need to recognize it's a process. And I'm preaching it myself right now. <laughs> we need to recognize that we are all a work in progress. God is, if God is willing to stick it out and be patient with us, recognizing the process, then man, we need to do that same thing for each other. Uh, God apparently thinks it's a good idea to be patient with me. And so he sees the process as a good thing. Uh, most of us, I think, are, are happy to be patient for like five or ten minutes. You know, like I'm happy to be patient. I'll wait in line, you know, for a little bit, you know, but there's like a breaking point. <laughs> what this is referring to is not like the five-minute patience. This is like patience with endurance. This is 
marathon patients. And um, it's the kind of patience that God has with us. He's waited 2,000 years. Actually, he's waited longer than that. Um, does anybody here struggle with patience? No hands, maybe a little bit. <laughs> and just this week, I was, I was noticing impatience in myself and feeling the Lord's conviction. I need to be more patient. Okay, let's move on. Let's turn to two. Um, number four is bearing with one another in love. Paul gives almost the same instructions over in Colossians chapter 3. Let me just read this little passage. Colossians 3 verse 12, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together. The basic idea of this, of bearing with one another, is that we need to tolerate each other's differences. So you might, you might like country music. You might put mushrooms on your pizza. And I need to... Bear with me. I need to bear with you. Not everybody's perfect. It's okay. Um, now, the reality is our differences go much, much deeper. And sometimes it's not just that we're different. Sometimes it's that we actually offend. And um, as Colossians puts it, um, you know, we need to forgive each other. Even if someone has deliberately, willfully wronged us. The relationship is not over. That's the point. right? We need to stick it out with each other, bear with one another, put up with these things, because we love each other. And you may, um, you may like me, say, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I think that's the point. Right? Of course you don't. Right? Everything in our flesh rebels against that. Why would I want to put up with with people who are different than me and don't do things the way I like and step on my toes and all of those things. Uh, the Christian life is completely unnatural for us. And apart from the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, we can't do it. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And so, where does all this love for each other come from? It, it's not rooted in you know, something that we can work up a little more mustard. Um, as we experience the love of Christ, we're able to pass that. We're able to do what it says there in Ephesians 4, to bear with one another. So what compels us? Why would we, why would we want to bear with one another? Why would we want to do these things? It's because of the love of Christ in us. The fifth thing that he mentions here in Ephesians 4, verse 3, he says that we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager, diligent, making every effort to do what? To maintain the unity of the Spirit. Again, we're not creating the unity of the Spirit. It's already there. Already something that the Spirit of God has done for us. We are already unified. But it's so easy to break the unity. It's so easy to mess up this unity. And so he doesn't tell us to pursue unity. He tells us to preserve 
unity, to maintain it. Um, we should actively try to protect that unity. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called? What is it that's expected of us to walk in that way? It's humility, it's gentleness, it's patience, it's bearing with one another, it's a commitment to unity. And then the next three verses remind us where this comes from. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You may have noticed in there that all three persons of God are mentioned. You have the Spirit, you have the Lord Jesus, and you have the God and Father of all. And so that's not an accident. Paul's intentional in these things. The basis for our unity is that we have one God. Three persons unified together as one. We have one God, and unity really matters to God. Uh, that is a recurring theme, as we mentioned. And so we should be eager to maintain that unity. So how's the rubber hit the road? I want you to think for a moment. Put on your thinking caps. When is it hardest for you to bear with one another? When are the times when it's difficult? Um, is there a certain person who you just have a hard time with? Is it someone who's, who's either annoying or you don't like their political beliefs or they're selfish or they're rude or in some way they're unkind? And then how do you typically respond to that person? Because there's, there's a number of ways that we could respond. You know, we could just argue with them about whatever the thing is, or we could just ignore them and hope they'll go away. Uh, we could push the big red nuclear button option and just destroy the relationship. But we've been called to an eternal hope, to, to a new life in Christ, and to unity in the church. That's what we've been called to. Packaged here, and it all goes together. And if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we need to respond to one another with humility, with gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another. And again, I, I don't think it's just difficult. Honestly, I think this is impossible. I don't think this is something that we can do on our own. I think this is something that we need the Spirit of God to produce in us. I think we really, really need the Holy Spirit to to bear that fruit in our lives. Um, we need him to so impress upon us the love of Christ that we are then able to pour out that love. So one more question, and that is, is there a limit to bearing with one another? Is there a point in time where you should stop bearing with and I think there are a couple things that we are not called to put up with in the church. Um, the first one is unrepentant sin. So let me read a couple verses on this. Matthew 18, maybe a familiar passage, I don't know. Um, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The whole spirit of that thing is give him every opportunity. Go personally. Don't, don't shame him. Start out personally, individually. Invite him back. But then it escalates. And at some point, if a person clings to their sin and says, no way, I'm going to do what I want to do. I will not obey God. Oh, we can't go there. We cannot invite that to the church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 13, um, Paul goes so far as to say, purge the evil person from among you. He's speaking of someone who is a so-called believer living in active sin. So, so one thing that we don't bear with is unrepentant sin. A second thing is intentional divisiveness. If someone is actively trying to create strife in the church, so Titus 3.10 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's a fascinating statement. That we as Christians, we get to the place where we just say, I don't, I'm going to talk to that guy. I'm done. I'm not going there. We are not going there. And it's, it's in the context of someone who is intentionally being divisive. The third thing is false teaching or false gospels. So Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's Jesus' warning. Uh, Paul says in Romans 16.17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So there's three different things. So there's unrepentant sin, there's intentional divisiveness, there's false teachers that turn people away from the gospel. And those are things that we shouldn't put up with. I don't think there's any other reasons that the New Testament lists for why we should not bear with one another. And it's interesting, each of those three that are, that are listed there, in each case, the only reason we're not going there with those people is that we care about the unity and integrity of the church. Christ loves the church. He loves this body of believers that he has brought together. And so if it matters to him, it should matter to us. And so the only reason there's a line drawn is because those things are threatening the unity of the church. In every other case, we bear with one another in love. We stick it out with each other. Um, the goal is to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that exists in the church. And so we're a brand new church, uh, just getting started, and we haven't had time to create problems. It's great. <laughs> Give it time. We'll, we'll do our best. But, um, but at some point in time, there will be difficulties. You know, we're not going to agree over the color of the carpet or something, you know, and, and there will be issues. And it will be important for us to maintain the unity that God has so great, graciously blessed us with. So we need to be careful to make sure that we approach 
all of this with the desire for harmony, that we, we live in harmony with one another, humbly, gently, patiently, bearing with one another. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we recognize that these things are um, only possible through your Spirit dwelling in us, bearing your good. Father, we are, I am not naturally humble and patient. I, I need your work in me to produce those things. And yet, Father, I recognize that uh, left to my own devices, I, I would not be able to preserve unity. And so, Father, we need, all of us need, your good work in us to preserve unity. And, Father, we're so grateful for Grace Church. We're so um, excited about what you're doing here, Lord, and how you've brought these folks together, Lord, how you continue to, to um, knit together to build your church. Lord, may we honoring in your sake. Father, we know that part of worship is, is recognizing um, what you have called us to. Lord, you've called us to an eternal hope, unified together as a people who worship and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Um, help us not to do anything that would in any way hinder that um, proclamation of your good will. Father, we love you and we pray all these things in Christ. Thank you. Let's stand and sing this song. This is just this is just our hearts echoing what Adam just said that apart from Christ. We are, we are sunk. <laughs> and this is the good news that God has given us the spirit and abides in us.